0: Welcome to Murder on Silk Road, the podcast that explores Asian and European true crime cases. I'm Julia and with me is my
1: friend and co-host Lena. I'm Lena and each episode we will be sharing either an Asian or a European case. Between these episodes we will bring you a shorter in-between episode where whoever did a case that week will prepare a random topic to discuss.
0: Before we get started, a general warning. The themes discussed in these stories may be disturbing and triggering for some, so listener discretion is advised.
1: Hello everyone. Hi.
2: Hi.
1: So? Now what? <laughs> now what? Well, Lena, it's... Yes, it's my turn today, and today I get to do a European story.
0: I've been trying to figure out what country... <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Julia has been trying to g- guess... Unsuccessfully. I mean, you've only guessed once, and it was wrong. Yeah, but...
0: It,
2: um, at least I know one so country So what? Not. We each get a, each get a yeah. random guess? Sure, Julia, I'll give you a second chance.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, I say Norway. Okay, Angela, what do you say? Austria. Austria. Okay, well... I'm just going to start with my story then, and you'll find out in the first sentence. Okay. (laughs) Okay? Cool. All right. So, in 1950, the prosecutor's office in Athens received a call by a woman. Okay. We're in Greece. We're in Greece. And the woman claimed that her wealthy mother has changed her will, leaving all of her property to a monastery. So in and of itself, this was not too alarming, as it was not uncommon for monasteries to require their converts to take a vow of poverty, thereby donating all of their earthly possessions when they join. But this woman, she insisted that her mother would never do something like that, and the only possible explanation would be if she was forced, so if she was blackmailed or threatened. At around the same time, the police receive a call from a Greek father, living in the U.S., His 18-year-old daughter has been missing since 1949. Mr. Spiridis claimed that his daughter was lured to a Greek convent by a nun who came to the U.S. to collect $10,000 worth of property that was left to the monastery. I was going to calculate how much that is in today's money, and I think I have the page open. (laughs) One second. Well, Um,
0: um, while you're pulling that up, I have a question. Yes. do you know the difference between a monastery and a convent? Like, I somehow in my mind, I uh, thought monastery was just, like, monks and con- convents um, were, like, nuns. nuns, but...
1: Yeah, I but. think monastery is for nuns as well. Uh, Wikipedia says monastery is the domestic quarters and workplaces of monastics, monks, or nuns.
0: Oh, okay. I don't know, I just had this, like... I had it in my mind that way, probably because of like monk and monastery, like they have that yeah. same, but I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever.
1: Yeah. So uh, $10,000 is around $125,000 today. So yeah, so Mr. Spiebus, he, uh his daughter is missing. And then the FBI was actually able to help him trace his daughter's whereabouts and identified the monastery in question. And this led to Mr. Spiridis calling the police in Greece. And as you probably guessed by now, the two monasteries were one and the same. Okay. After receiving these complaints, the police started to take a closer look at the... Wait wait a second. Panagia Pevkovuno Yatrisa Monastery. Ooh, that sounded really good. <laughs> I really love um, Greek pronunciations. but. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this was led by a woman who would later be referred to by media as Mother Rasputin. Rasputin? Rasputin, like, yes. Was she Russian? Like the Rasputin. No, she was not Russian. But um, so the name, I don't really have to focus too much on it. They didn't really do the same things. But I can explain to you later kind of why they named her Mother Rasputin. But, okay. but yeah, that's just what the media called her later on. So yeah, today I'll be telling you about Abbess Mariam Sulakioti and the countless deaths that occurred at her monastery in Keratea, Greece.
0: Was that her real name then, before she was named Mother Rasputin? Uh,
1: no, actually, in the very beginning her name was Marina and she changed her name to Mariam after she became a nun. I, I think they do that. Okay. Uh, before we get into the story though, a huge thanks to my Greek friend Christina for patiently helping me with all the pronunciations. Go Christ Christina? Yeah, and Christina is how you would say it in English. I think okay. in Greek it's more of a Christina, but don't quote me on that. Christina. <laughs> yeah, you can say Christina.
0: Thanks, thanks thanks Christina.
1: Thanks, Thank Christina. You. <laughs> okay. So not much is known about Marina Sulakiotu before she joined the monastery and took up the monastic name of Mariam. The best guess is that she was born in 1883 to an impoverished family in Keratea, which is around 50 kilometers away from Athens. Now the sources are a little bit unclear and sometimes even contradictory, but from from what I've pieced together, Mariam had a strong and assertive personality, she was a factory worker before joining the Greek Orthodox Church, as a nun in her late teens. And a few years later, so when Mariam was in her early 20s, she developed a close and trusting relationship with her superior, Bishop Ma- okay, wait a Bishop, uh, Matheos Karpathakis of Vrestena. Ooh. <laughs> OK, I'm not going to say that all the time. But basically, Bishop Ma- Matheos. So in English, they would say Matthew.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: Matheos. So a fun fact about the Greek names is that they are gendered.
2: Mm. Uh, like you would know that
1: in German, Julia, so yeah. uh, nouns have genders. Yeah. But in Greek, even names have genders as well. And you would change how you say someone's name depending on the mm. case it is in. So whether it's in the normative case, the um, accusative, basically different grammatical cases. And for male names, you would uh, omit the S when you are addressing someone, or when you say, I did this to blah. So basically, in some cases, in Greek, you would say Matthäus, or that's how you would say, this is uh, Bishop Matthäus, but if you talk to him, I would say, oh, hey, Bishop Matthäus, or "Matteo." yeah. Anyway, I'm just going to say Matthäus. so some of the sources also described Mariam as Matteos's spiritual daughter. So, you know, there wasn't anything weird going on there, it's just... okay. You know, he was like a mentor to her, and um, they trusted each other very much. Mm. And as far as we know, nothing out of the ordinary happened in like 20 years until everything changed for Mother Mariam and Bishop Mateos in May of 1923. And what happened was the Council of Constantinople. I know this says nothing to you. It doesn't, <laughs> but why. it sounds very...
0: <laughs> malevolent
1: for some reason <laughs> yeah the council of constantinople so a tiny i hope tiny history lesson so this is kind of i mean it's not that important to the story but i think it's good to know to just have a context of what was going on yeah um so a little history lesson so that we understand the significance of this council mm-hmm. uh, all the way back in 46 bc We are now in the early days of the Roman Empire. And Julius Caesar decreed that everyone in his empire shall use a new calendar system Mm -hmm. known as the Julian calendar. Mm -hmm. And since the previous Roman calendar was causing a lot of confusion, that's why they changed it. And this Julian calendar was adopted and used by most European countries until 1582 AD. So for over 1600 years, this was what was used in Europe. And in 1582, that's when Pope Gregory XIII introduced the, can you guess which calendar? Gregorian! Yay! Yes. (laughs) So the calendar which most of us use today, or at least for civic purposes, Mm -hmm. um, is the Gregorian calendar, which was introduced in 1582. And the reason for this change was because the Julian calendar was a few minutes off every year, and it no longer matched the Earth's revolution around the sun, and that's known as a tropical year. So as time passed, you know, 1,600 years had passed, this became a huge problem because it meant that holidays were celebrated at the wrong time, if that makes sense. Okay. Specifically, Easter. So the date of Easter, right, is very important for Christians, Mm -hmm. it's based on the northern spring equinox, so that's how they calculate when we celebrate Easter every year. But by the 1500s, the Julian calendar has drifted so far away that the spring equinox occurred way before March 21st, based on the Julian calendar. So it just didn't match anymore. So um, people still kind of measured Easter based on when March 21st is. But the equinox wasn't even happening on the 21st, but happened way earlier. So yeah, that's kind of where the problem came about. Make sense?
2: Yes. Yes, yes.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I'm currently wondering how the calendar change is in like the 1500s is relevant to this council in the 1900s or 20th century, 20th century.
1: You'll find out, I'll tell you, it's a bit, I mean, (laughs) I think from our perspectives, we might feel like it doesn't really matter. Why would you be so, you know, focused on this and um, devote so much energy on this, just accept it? You know the change but it's just um no it makes sense I because suppose.
0: yeah but also um i mean europe has been predominantly christian mm-hmm. from most of its existence as we know it or as we categorize it and mm-hmm. obviously that makes it very significant when yeah. easter is and yeah because i mean it was the the death and resurrection of jesus christ so obviously they put a lot yeah. of importance on that yeah, so it makes was definitely sense. one of
1: the one of the most important holidays for Christianity yeah. and people disagreed on when to celebrate it. And that was an issue. And so after Pope um, after the Pope he said we're gonna use the Gregorian calendar now, all of the Catholic countries they quickly adopted the new calendar because the Pope said so. And then the Protestant and Eastern Orthodox countries, they also made the change over the next centuries. So it did take some time. And Greece was the last European country to still use the Julian calendar up until 1923. Is there a reason for that? Do you know? Why they didn't change it? Yeah. I suppose it's um, kind of a similar reason to why they... What would lead up to basically what happens next is that some people, they agreed with the change and some people did not. Mm. And this actually, this whole council divided... Eastern Orthodox into two sort of branches those Ah. who went with the new calendar and those who were who are now called the old calendarists but they call themselves the true Orthodox church Mm, and within that there are even more branches those who are more open to the other ones and those who completely cut off and have no connections with you know what they see as untrue churches I would say.
0: Honestly this like this history sort of of how religion sort of diverged into all these different branches is so
1: interesting. I know, it's so interesting. And there's so much I don't talk about, like yeah. a lot of religious drama that happened, but that kind of occurred in the, uh, which I read about in the research. Yeah. But I'm not going to talk about because this is not the podcast for it. No. But it's just quite, kind of fascinating. And it is, really, yeah. So, yeah, in fact, nowadays, a lot of countries still use the Julian calendar, or at least a revised version of it, or religious purposes oh so, i didn't know that i'm not 100 certain so uh are you aware that russian uh easter is kind of different um i, I feel like i vaguely have this impression or had this impression where of... they had a different day for easter and i think it's because it's based on the julian calendar but i'm not 100 sure is, so is the
0: so the Russian Orthodox Church still using like is that why because the Russian Orthodox cal- um, church is still using the Julian calendar um,
1: maybe so I did not do that much research but I think I just read a bit on Greece and mm-hmm. they have like a Easter that's based an Easter based on the Gregorian calendar and then a separate kind of feast going on based on the Julian yeah, calendar okay. so they just or at least some of them decided to celebrate both I think um but so this is kind of the huge contention when is easter and a lot of the old calendarists who you know didn't want to make the change it kind of made sense as well because you know they for them we've always celebrated like this since the establishment mm. of the church over you know almost two thousand years ago or something like that that's when we maybe right. not 2000, But it's uh, a huge change that's true yeah to suddenly say okay we're just that's wrong now we're gonna do it this way they were like no we're not this is I've always done it, and so that's where the divide happened. And anyway, moving on to our story. (laughs) um,
0: It's just too fascinating.
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) It is. I know it is. Um, But anyway, so Mother Mariam and Bishop Matthäus, they were not the only ones unhappy with the switch, and a whole new branch of Eastern Orthodoxy was created as a reaction to this change. And... But the thing was that Mother Mariam and Bishop Matthäus, they disagreed with the mainstream Greek Orthodox Church, of course, but they also found issues with the other old calendarist groups in Greece. So that's when Bishop Matthäus decided to form his own monastery.
0: That's so interesting because they're already part of this group that like split off because mm-hmm. they didn't agree. Yeah. And then like, even from that, they split off because they didn't agree.
1: yeah. They're just, but I am not have really to share exactly thing. what they disagreed on. It's very complicated and there's a lot of sort of you know religious traditions that they yeah. yeah, that I'm not aware of. but um so there was a lot of drama going on actually as the crimes in this story also happen. but anyway, we don't know where the money came from, but in nineteen twenty five, Mariam bought several acres of land and two years later, uh, Bishop Matthäus and seven nuns, including Mariam, of course, founded the Panagia pevkovuno Monastery in 1927, so four years after the Council of Constantinople. Now, the monastery has two main goals, and the first was to honor a biblical event called the Presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay. This is also not important, not by right the story, but I just uh-huh. thought it was interesting. Um but the story is that Mary's parents were childless and one day they received a message from God saying they would have a child. And this turned out to be true. They had Mary. And to thank God, they presented three-year-old Mary to the Holy Temple of Jerusalem where she was consecrated to God and prepared to become the Mother of God, which is also known as
2: Theotokos in Eastern Orthodoxy. So just Mother of God. Well, are we still and talking about... This was the main... Yeah? Is this Jesus... Jesus Mary or no? Yeah, we're talking about Jesus Mary.
0: But that's so so confusing because they're saying she's the mother of God, but I thought Jesus was God's son. Is this like the difference between like the Orthodox belief and like the mainstream
1: Um, Catholic? Perhaps, but I think isn't, I I guess so. I I don't, I honestly, I don't know. We're going to offend many people in this. I know, but
0: there's also like sort of that Jesus is like, God's representation or God's will on earth. Yeah. But at the same time, he's called God's son. Yes.
1: I don't know. We don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> it doesn't
1: matter. <laughs> but anyway. Basically, the main point is that this monastery honored the Virgin Mary. That was like okay, the main that's nice. entity they That's prayed nice. To. That's it's not misogynistic. <laughs> but, you know, what do you think about presenting a three-year-old to a temple to prepare her to become the mother of God. I mean, that's a that,
0: That's. <laughs> I mean, it's, we don't okay. know if it's real,
1: of course, but... Obviously, it, anyway. it's very <laughs> grooming behavior, but yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's just a story, kind of a biblical event that they uh, honored. And a second goal of the monastery was to raise finances, uh, to raise money to finance the up-and-coming old calendarist movement. Uh, and as a bonus, the monastery also offered free tuberculosis treatment because it was located in the mountains and people believe that uh, being in high altitude conditions had certain health benefits, including right. that it was a good kind well, of treatment I mean, maybe if you had tuberculosis. Mm. I
0: mean, they're right because fresh air is very helpful
1: to those with Fresh air with is helpful, yes. yes. But I'm not sure, at least in this story, whether that... Ended up helping the people, but we'll get to that. Um, so the goals of the monastery are perfectly represented in this in its name, which I said a few times earlier, the Panahia, And that translates to something like Monastery of the Virgin, the Healer on the Pine Mountain. hmm Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, yeah, so when, in 1927, when uh, this monastery was created... Uh, Bishop Mateos is sixty-six years old and has named himself Archbishop, while Mother Mariam is now forty-four years old. <laughs> Julia is grinning.
0: No, I just love it when people title themselves and give themselves this power, which is only recognized by like this tiny group of people.
1: Yeah, but I mean, isn't religion just like that in general? Any let's not offend age. everybody yeah i'm just saying though <laughs> for them you know for them that was for uh bishop Matthias, you know he saw himself as legitimate and yeah anyway like i mentioned there was a lot of religious drama going on and that involved you know how much uh he could do he couldn't do and he did things he was not supposed to do that was not recognized but anyway uh Let's get back to the monastery. (laughs) In the first decade (laughs) of the monastery's creation, uh, Bishop Mateos he was still very much the leader of the convent, and he devoted much of his time to spirituality and religion. He spent his days going on 40-day fasts, staying in isolation cells, and attaching metal chains to his body for spiritual rewards. Okay, metal chains? So this was a very spiritual man. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. It's pretty common, I think, in... Uh, well, it's like... In many religions, maybe, but... Da Vinci... Da Vinci's... That movie. The Da Vinci Code? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so people, or religious people, do that to kind of reach spiritual... Um, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's enlightenment or just get certain spiritual rewards. Yeah, so that's something he did. He was really focused on the spiritual aspect of the monastery. And I found one article which was written by someone who... I think is still sort of in this sect or maybe a bishop or a priest or someone like that who, uh, who follows this monastery's beliefs and he, admittedly being very biased claimed that Bishop Matthäus performed he performed various miracles such as curing a paralytic curing leprosy and expelling multiple demons Ah, uh, yes Yes <laughs> I'm sorry, that's all I can say Ah, yes. Yeah. I mean, with expelling the demons, I'm not gonna, you know, have an opinion on that because who knows, maybe he did. But curing, like, leprosy and all that, I'm not so sure because the way he described it was very magical. Mm. Um, And the leprosy kind of just fell off. And yeah, but anyway. uh, So that's kind of what Bishop Matthäus' life was about. And I don't wanna talk too much about history again, but I think it's also important to have a basic idea of was going on in the large environment of the time? Yeah. So just five years before the birth of the monastery, the Soviet Union was created. And ten years ago, Europe was still in the midst of World War One.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So this was a time when, you know, politically, there was a lot of change going on, a lot of, you know, I mean, war was going on. So, And... And as you already know, the Eastern Orthodoxy Church was also going through a huge division because of this calendarist movement, and uh, Matthäus was involved with the political drama that kind of happened because of that. And this is just my guess, but I think all of this could be a reason for why uh, Matthäus probably did not have a lot of time for the day-to-day management of the monastery. So he delegated a lot of that to Marianne, and she welcomed the
2: responsibility.
1: So... Bishop Matthäus' health started to decline in 1939, just as World War II was starting. By this time, Matthäus left all the monastery work to Mariam, and even though he was still the official leader, Mariam had all the responsibilities and power equivalent to an abbess of a monastery. So basically, the number one boss. And now that uh, Bishop Matthäus was getting ill, he was no longer in a position to supervise Mariam, and she started to take the convent in a whole new direction.
0: Never never a good sentence in stories like mm.
1: this. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> up until this point, things still looked pretty, you know, innocent. Uh, but in 1940, Mariam sent monks all over Greece to recruit new converts. But not just any converts... Not just any. <laughs> Mariam he had a preference. Ooh. For wealthy, wealthy spinsters, widows, or families. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Now you know where we're going. Ah, uh, yes. So, whenever someone was convinced to join the monastery, they had to go through a brutal rite of initiation. And in hindsight, this initiation process was most likely a death trap in disguise. Yeah, oh. So,
0: is there mm-hmm. do you have more f- information about
1: this ritual? Of course. That's what I'm going to get into. Yeah, okay. Right now. <laughs> okay, cool. I really so, want to know. Yes, it's not technically a ritual, but basically, let's say you are not impressed with the new Gregorian calendar adopted by the mainstream orthodoxy mm-hmm. or maybe you were inspired by the miracles performed by Bishop Matthäus. Or you just love the sound of devoting your life to spirituality while living in a beautiful monastery in the mountains, then this is what might happen to you. And let me just say, the monastery, it looks really, really nice. It's huge. It's literally surrounded by trees and kind of by the coast. anyway, Greece is just beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Now, let's say Julia, Angela, you guys wanted to join. Um, The first few steps are not very unusual for joining any monastery, but you would have to commit yourself to the sect that you're joining, right? Mm-hmm. So what you would do, you would have to confess all your sins and you have to repent for them. So you would have to perform acts of penance, mm-hmm. such as 40-day fasts or vows of silence. And this was pretty pretty average. Right. Um, and I think when they fast, it's not, you know, just not eating anything, but you would get bread or water. So Only like liquids usually,
0: away. right? Yeah, because like very
1: limited food, Um, that was not that uncommon. Uh, But with this monastery, you are also required to take a vow of poverty. So you have to sign over everything you own to Mother Maria. Mm -hmm. You know what this sounds like?
0: This sounds like all cults
1: ever. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This is very similar. It's becoming very similar to cults. And some articles also call it a cult, but most of them still just call it a monastery. But what happens is very culty, for sure. Because when, once you decide to devote your life to the sect, you are also forced to cut off any contact with your friends and family. Sounds pretty familiar. Yep. And if you wanted to back out at this point, it's too late. Because you would be locked up, deprived Why? of food and sleep, threatened, blackmailed, <laughs> drugged, beat, and tortured until you agree to sign all
2: your property away
1: so again cult (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah so for those who are you know really believers um in this sect of old calendarist you know beliefs then maybe you'd be like yeah of course i want to give up all my stuff i want to commit to this life and you might just do everything as they tell you and don't have an issue with it but a lot of people they had issues with this (laughs) and yeah. That's their yes. right. Yes. <laughs> but um, so that's what would happen if you wanted to convert, right? Or if you wanted to join the monastery. Uh, but unfortunately, this did not only happen to the converts. It also happened to ordinary people seeking help at the monastery. So oh, I don't know if you oh. remember, but the monastery, they offered free tuberculosis treatment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And tuberculosis was a common cause of death back then. Uh, because the first effective antibiotic treatment was just being developed in 1946. Mm. So yeah, just, you know, th- I suppose this activity, as far as we know, started in around 1940. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't even a cure yet at that point.
0: I mean, it and makes that's sense. people thought,
1: we'll go to the mountains.
0: It kind yeah. of makes sense because who has the time to be developing um, these antibiotics during war?
1: Yeah. That's Most true. people had other things to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, at that time, you know, around 1946, around 35,000 people died every year of tuberculosis just in Greece. And like you just mentioned, people didn't really, you know, have time to do it until the war ended. But to make it even worse, Greece actually went into a civil war from 1946 to 1949. So right after World War II, they had their civil war. I didn't really look into it, but it's basically communists and non-communists. I think the communists wanted to overthrow the government. I think that's what it was. But So this was happening, and that's why the government was in no position to tackle this enormous public health problem that was also plaguing the country. So of course, Mother Mariam, she took advantage of this and advertised free tuberculosis treatment at the monastery. So the sick and desperate people, they went to the monastery only to find out that there was not a single doctor present and in reality, they were all scammed and just left to die, but not before signing over their property to Mother Maria. This
0: seems very expected of cult behavior at this point. I am yeah. obviously sad that they were lured in with these promises of help and just mm. honestly dumbfounded by like all these ways that they had to keep people there. And like you you said blackmail, right? Yeah. Is that for like cuz they had to confess all their sins? Was that what they used as blackmail?
1: Um so it doesn't go into a lot of detail. It just I don't know too much about exactly what she did uh in detail that was blackmailing, but it was just listed as a bunch of the things they would do. And I would guess that that's one of the things they could have done, you know, if People confess their sins and they would say, if you don't pay this, then, yeah. Or it was also maybe just threats. And I think she also promised a lot of people that, you know, if you do what I say, then that's, you'll go to heaven. You'll become, in some articles I read that she promised that the woman would become, like, the wives of Jesus, something like
2: that. But, yeah, it's just alleged. It's all very typical, like a cult, like cutting you off. Trying to let you live a solitary life, and Mm.
0: then it's like there's a cult checklist, and they're just going down the list, checking things off. Yeah, torture, abuse, starving yourself, Mm. isolation, extreme views, blah blah blah. Mm.
1: blah. Yeah. And as far as we know, like in the beginning, with Bishop Mateo still running the whole monastery, it was maybe not a cult because he was you know, as far as we know, serious about uh, the religion. He was really just, this is not how we should do it. We should use the old calendar in this way. And that's why I'm going to create my monastery. Mm -hmm. And he was devoted to performing these miracles or, you know, I don't know to what extent the miracles were real or whether he was also kind of just faking things so that they would get more more followers. But either way, he... Maybe was not aware of all of this because in the end, he was very old, very sick, and just you know, I would say bedridden for the most part.
0: I'm sorry, I keep interrupting, but I do have a question. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, do you know roughly how many people they had
1: at the monastery? Mm, I don't know the um, exact numbers of how many people they had going in and out, like in total, but. I just know that at the peak of the monastery's I suppose influence or power, they had four hundred nuns and monks and all that. So that's still okay. a pretty large population. Oh, wait, let me find a photo for you guys. It's actually pretty creepy because
2: But I'm yeah. just I think we need we do need to clarify that not all cults are like sketchy. Just to be fair. Cult just basically means a smaller group of um, uh, no, seriously, cult. It, it's just a smaller group. of...
0: Okay, I guess hashtag not all cults, but <laughs> many cults. I
2: took a whole semester on cults. I had I had this class on cults, oh, and that's it's cool. just basically like how you define it, and it's just like a smaller. It's like, not because religions are super huge thing, and then there's sectors that falls into like smaller pieces, mm-hmm. smaller groups, and then some are not big enough and some have like different practices.
0: But the thing is that a lot of these like splintering off the bigger belief system is because they have extreme views.
2: And those extremist views lead to cults. I mean that that definitely might be one of the results. But, mm. it in itself.
1: I think you're just clarifying the definition that in and of itself. Yeah, just being a cult doesn't mean. This. You'll end up But in most a... likely, that's also happening.
2: That might be happening. I mean. Oh, uh, you sent us the pic.
1: I sent you some pictures of Mother Mariam, as well as the a huge group of nuns at the monastery. And don't read the article though, because <laughs> one of the pictures has like article stuff written there. So just look at the photos.
2: Nuns charged with abduction.
1: Don't read it! Oh, don't. Oops.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just as you finished saying it.
1: <laughs> I know, right? A quick interruption from Lena editing right now. Uh, you can see all of these photos on our Instagram. It's Murder on Silk Road written together. Now
2: back to the show. They're very cover. They are very cover, yeah. So- can you send them mm-hmm. to
0: me on WhatsApp real quick? Because... Oh yeah, messages isn't really um, downloading them quick enough.
1: Okay, um, I'm just gonna give you another photo though without the article because I know you guys can't resist reading it.
0: Yeah, we're nosy bitches. <laughs> yes.
1: So. So one of the pictures of Mother Mariam is just very creepy, but I think it's just because the picture is slightly overexposed or something. And if you see like another photo of her, she looks very different. But yeah, so I think in the beginning she wasn't covered up that much, but in the end at this monastery, they would cover up, or at least Mother Mariam, she chose to cover up all the way uh, down to her eyebrows. So her eyebrows were covered and just her eyes, nose and mouth were shown.
0: I don't mean to say, okay, I guess it will come across as insulting and I, I'm I'm sorry, okay. but I'm ju- it's just ha- can't help but be reminded. You know the mm. Ghibli Studio Ghibli movie Spirited oh, Away. Oh, yeah. That's true, that's true, yeah. the Studio Ghibli. <laughs> it looks like it looks like uh, no face. No
1: face. Yeah, she does look like no face. Yes.
0: More in the overexposed. picture. We have black and white yeah. photos as well. I'm sorry if that 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 sounds really bad, but I couldn't help it. I thought it that's just,
1: it. You're saying what everyone's thinking. Yes. And let me just find you a photo of uh, Bishop Mas- Mateos as well. I love his beard. I know his beard <laughs> is pretty,
2: pretty dope. Ooh! <laughs> Someone's in love. No, he's—he has a very squarly beard. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I'm just wondering.
0: It just with the with the hat, or if it has a specific name, I don't know. But with the hat and like the square beard. He just has a very long, rectangular face. (laughs) face.
1: Okay, let me see where we are. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Mm, Okay, found it. All right, so everybody's ready again? Yeah. We've seen the pictures. We can imagine the people now. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, as would naturally happen, the villagers around the monastery, uh, they would often gossip about what was going on inside. Because they would hear screams and moans when they passed by the compound.
2: Screams and moans? Screams and moans, Yeah, they yes. were being tortured. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, it would be in a quieter place, like a dungeon or something. <laughs> <laughs> With some soundproof. I mean, you're going to torture someone. I mean, I don't know if it was, like, very loud,
1: or they just faintly heard, like, Ah I think I hear someone screaming. Yeah, but... Anyway, so there was gossip going around about, you know, maybe there were some bad things going on there. Uh, But most people kind of just kept their distance. Uh, But in 1949, there were some drunk villagers who decided to climb over the fence at night. And they found an elderly woman who was chained to a wall. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, now the woman, she refused their help, though. And then the villagers, they just decided to not get involved and kind of stay quiet about it. What they saw. She refused their help? She refused their help. So that's the, you know, that's also the interesting thing with this case is because um, to what extent did the people consent to the torture? I mean, I don't know, like, whether they can consent to it. But for some people, it might have just been, I'm doing these acts of penance for my sins. Mm. And for some, they were, of course, being tortured. So... That might be one of the reasons why the people kind of just ignored it. They just thought, okay, these people are a bit crazy. They're doing it, you know, uh, voluntarily, so we're just going to stay out of it.
0: I wonder if that can be classified as Stockholm Syndrome or not.
1: I don't know. I mean, I think if I was really not doing, you know, being chained to a wall without wanting to kind of uh, do some kind of penance for my sins, I would have said, please help me, (laughs) get me out of here. Yeah,
2: that's true. But, I mean, you also have to think that, like, They were put in a sort of, like, mental state. They were... Mm, That's true. So it would be difficult for them to ask for help.
1: Yeah, like I said, there were probably some people who, you know, did all of this voluntarily, while the majority did not. And maybe they just put the person who was doing it voluntarily outside. And for those, you know, who obviously were not part of this voluntarily, they were, like, in the dungeons, in the basement. In dungeons. Yeah, yeah. So... In May 1950, Bishop Matthäus died at the age of 89, and Mother Maryam officially became the abbess. And this is also alleged, but apparently to attract more, so this really happened, um, there was this kind of story or uh, this news was distributed or passed around that uh, Bishop Matthäus, even though he had died for a few days already, his corpse was not you know, decomposing, it was still very looking great and smelled great. Mm-hmm. And that's why. So, that's actually a thing recently that happened in the States where I think a nun, she passed away and then her body was completely preserved very well after they dug her out, I think a year after she was buried. And really? people all flocked to that area to kind of look at her or even touch her uh, because. Like a lot of Christians believe that's you know, that only happens to people who are kind of approved by God, and right. they would apply to become saints or something. So they did really good things in their lives, and God is giving his approval mm. by not
2: rotting their bodies. I'm gonna interrupt. Wow,
0: I've never heard of th- something like that. It,
2: it's actually quite common. So like, really, in, a lot of in a lot of religions, people, and in the past, people would starve. Before, like when they're about to like know that they're gonna pass away, they would starve mm-hmm. themselves so that their bodies won't rot or like you know it'll smell yeah, nice. Yeah, I've heard that. It's mostly mm-hmm. about your diet and how you treat. Like what do you call it? It's like funeral rites, and mm. depending on the religion, people might also want like a very clean body. But because there's different type of like burial types when it's... Yeah. F- especially when it's like feeding to the uh, tui. What's tui? Vultures. Vultures and fish. They try to cl- keep their body super clean.
1: Mm-hmm. So it
2: wouldn't smell or anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. So
1: that is like a religious thing where when the when a person dies and their body stays, you know, clean in a sense that they are regarded as have mm-hmm. lived a holy life in a way.
0: That's so and, interesting.
1: Yeah, and you should look it up later on because this is happening right now as well. Uh, but apparently it's not that uncommon. Like, scientifically it can be explained as well. But anyway, Mother Mariam, she also kind of played into this and made uh, Bishop Matthias' corpse really nice and perfumed it up so that, you know, people would come from all over the country to see this happen and see the right saint. to lure
0: more victims
1: yeah yeah, exactly so there's I'll send you some pictures of that later as well there's actually pictures of this funeral uh, procession or how people were flocking to be by the corpse of Bishop Matheus uh, but anyway there are also people who believe that this really happened so that she did not you know mess around with the corpse to make it look nice so, that yeah, we don't know. Maybe she didn't do anything, but maybe she did. And so that was in May 1950. And when police... Let's go back to the beginning of the story. And the police are investigating now because they've got these calls. And when they started to uncover the secrets of the monastery, they were obviously appalled. But they faced a huge problem because they couldn't prove that the converts were forced. And I'm not so sure about the facts here, but... Lucky for the police, they had two other ways they could sort of catch Mother Mariam. And what I'm not sure about is whether these were legitimate charges or whether they were just made up by the police so that they could have her and just search the monastery uh, because that had some con- contradicting sources. But they accused the monastery of illegally exporting olive oil to Cyprus and some sort of <laughs> illegally importing tires. Yes, it's okay. very right. <laughs> absurd. So I'm not sure if she was really doing this as like a side hustle or whether they just came up with it, you know,
2: okay. because
1: they wanted to search the place. Um, if they came
0: up with it, that's like somebody has <clears throat> a vivid imagination because what kind yeah. of... Yeah.
1: That's so random. I don't I know. <laughs> olive oil and tires. And tires, yes. And specifically olive oil export to Cyprus which was illegal at the time. So specific. So, yeah, we don't know whether this was real. Because there, there are cases where they said, you know, they could prove that, so they, so they caught them on this charge first. But I'm not even sure if they were ever, whether these charges were then dropped. So, anyway, with that as their as the base of their investigation, or the charges, uh, on December 4th, 1950, so a few months after Bishop Mateus' death, the police were finally ready and they raided the monastery. Now, the number here is also a bit unsure. They rescued either 36 or 46 children. But, yeah. They rescued a bunch of children. Yes. Who were living in the monastery. Oh, jeez. As well. And they found numerous naked and malnourished elderly women who were imprisoned in the basement. Nah, so. (sighs) Yeah, so obviously a lot of people were not being chained outside on the walls, but were also hidden. And uh, also... But why were children... My question is why? I think children- what happened was um, a lot of people went there for the treatment for the tuberculosis. Oh, uh, so
0: sick kids that pe- like their parents brought to heal. Yeah, right.
1: either they went there with their parents because everybody was sick, and the parents might have died, and then the kids just stayed there. Or God damn, I think so. This was also this is you know not um, not facts or anything, but in one of the articles I read that one child. Um, they thought their parents had died or or it was vice versa, I'm not so sure whether the the monastery just told them yeah, your child is dead, but then they just kept the child, or whether it was they told the child your parents are dead and that you're an orphan now, or something like that but it's just very messed up that's horrible so they just had these children I think some of the children, they also worked in the monastery, like in the kitchens as help but yeah, it was just all very very messed up that's insane and yes and to make it worse, of course, so there mm-hmm. were over 80 officers who spent two days searching the whole compound. And through their search, Whoa. they uncovered 170 bodies.
2: What? Jeez. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: Like, the bodies are just left there? or
1: they, they basically yeah found corpses. I mean, maybe they were buried, but basically 170 people definitely died there.
0: I hope at least that they gave those people the respect
1: to bury them. I mean, but I think at that point it didn't matter that much if they caused yeah, their death. Yeah, I,
0: I think that I'm just hoping for some, mm. like, silver lining here. I yeah. would hope that for them, but I'm not too
1: convinced that that's what <laughs> happened. I, mean, I think if they bury the people, it wasn't to give them respect, but to hide the bodies, so...
2: Or there would be, like, a burial riot. I mean, it is religious based yeah. right. I
1: think they buried them kind of just on the front because I read that uh, they had doctors at the place only when someone died so that the doctors would give like a you know write a death oh. certificate
0: mm-hmm. oh for so, for all the money that they would get yeah. like the, all the inheritance the mm-hmm. money yeah. I mean
1: at that point the property already transferred to the monastery or to Mariam but What's the... um, but still the doctors were brought in to write the death certificates and then Uh, Yeah, so they probably just buried them as if they died naturally. Uh, So, yeah, so news spread, of course, that Mother Mariam was under investigation, and that's when a lot of witnesses came forward with their stories, and that helped the prosecution build a case that was more appropriate to the crimes that were committed there. Thank goodness. So not just illegal (laughs) exporter import. Um, Yes. So a woman called Evgenia Marietti claimed that she was held in solitary confinement and tortured until she signed over her property, which was worth, uh, in today's money, almost $900,000, almost a million dollars. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And there was also another woman who claimed that she was forced to fast for almost half a year and at some point also forced to drink her own urine. What, drink urine? Yeah, drink her own urine basically just torture. A lot of people came out saying how they were tortured, or they know someone, their family member was tortured. But th- these, some of these people were able to get away? Yeah, so it wasn't the case that everybody who went there just didn't leave. Thank goodness. They, yes. Thankfully, there were survivors, and that helped the prosecution sort of um, charge these people. But uh, another woman also ta- talked about her niece, who was Um, in the monastery and she was put to work in the kitchen and because she was so hungry she kind of licked a potato and of course she was punished for that and they tied her naked in like a stable throughout the night and she was like unconscious from the cold and just a lot of stuff like that and i think there's another child who was um they said he was possessed by the devil or by a demon or something like that and they hung him upside down like (gasps) by a tree just a Yeah, so all of this is alleged, like people claim this, witnesses came forward, but this was never, you know, proved in a trial. So, you know, we don't know exactly, but just because of the amount of people who ended up coming forward and telling their stories that most people believe that this was true.
0: I wouldn't put it past this insane monastery if they already did some of these things. It's not Mm. such a leap to believe that they wouldn't do the rest. Yeah,
1: yeah. there was also... So a lot of these things I'm telling you right now were from Greek articles that were Google translated. So it was a little bit, you know, hard to understand sometimes because the translation Mm. was pretty bad. But there was also one bit where I think it was a boy who um, kind of said that he and his family, they were kind of put in these cells and they were told to hurry up and die so that they make room for others (laughs) who also need to go to heaven. Or go to paradise or something like that. So it's just completely Catholic. Hurry, and, hurry up
0: and get to heaven. Hurry up.
2: Wow. Heaven's yeah.
1: waiting. Yeah, because they did sell it in a way, you know, package it in a way that, you know, Yeah. it's very spiritual, very you know for love the woman, you would then when you die become Jesus' wife or But still you know, just stuff like I'm
2: that. I'm just saying hurry up. Hurry up <laughs> and go to heaven. <sighs> it's a very interesting yeah. way. So, Mother Maryam, she
1: was not the only person. You know, she wasn't doing all this personally. Mm. She had her cronies. There were some nuns and monks who were in on this as well. And in February of 1951, Mother Maryam and 13 other nuns and monks... Whoa. Uh, so, 13 nuns and monks were charged with homicide, fraud, blackmail, torture, and the forgery of wills. And Thank goodness. For, yes. yes, thank goodness they were... Uh, charged. Throughout the three trials, Mariam Sulakyoti was found guilty of seven murder charges. But the prosecution in those trials claimed that at least 177 people died unnaturally in the monastery, 27 of those being of murders. Unnaturally? Yeah, so 27 were of murder and 150 due to negligence. Wow. Mm. Um, so, I don't you know, know there you might know have been this. people who did die naturally because they were really sick of tuberculosis and then nothing, maybe they died soon after. So, yeah, what were you going to say? Uh,
0: I don't, so I don't know if you can answer this, but mm. do you know how they were able to pin these specific seven murders on her?
1: Um, I don't know the exact uh, details, but that's kind of what the investigation... Sort of led to so i think they I'm, I'm sure they would have looked at the bodies they discovered and then seen okay this person died of this this person died of that and there were some where you know it was clearly this person starved to death or this person was beat to death beaten to death whereas others it might just be you know the lung infection
0: was it only mariam that was charged with the seven or were all the others also charged with the seven
1: um I don't think all the others were charged with the seven. They were charged with different things, so various things. Okay. So, 13 other people were also charged with, yeah, uh, were also charged, but it was specifically Mariam who had these seven murder charges.
0: Probably because she was in charge, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, okay. I just go over the seven that she was officially charged with, so we know legally, at least, she was responsible for these. The Baka family was a family of five. Who joined the monastery and they were forced to sign over their property and when the mother noticed that things were very wrong at this place and she wanted to leave with her children, she and her husband, they were confined separately in cells for six months and these cells they oh, were no. contaminated with tuberculosis oh, Jesus. and yeah so um, I'm not exactly sure if they died of the tuberculosis then or uh, maybe just malnutrition or whatever from the cells. But they actually got out, were released, and they died shortly after that. Oh, no. So I think it might have been one of the reasons that they were able to you know, charge this, because these people got out and people were aware yeah. of what happened to them. And then another couple, Mr. and Mrs. Panayotopoulou, they starved to death after signing over their home to Mariam. Then we have another woman, uh, Miss Mihalaku, and she went to the monastery for free tuberculosis treatment as well. Instead of getting treatment or any medical attention, she was thrown in a cell and forced to sign over her property. Mm. And she died soon after that.
0: This is so heartbreaking for so many
1: people. Yeah, and I mean, these are just the seven that were char- that she was charged with. And there were so many more. Um, but final two are actually sisters at the monastery. So we have Sister Theodote. And uh, Mother Mariam, she accused the sister of misconduct and ordered a beating as penance. So another sister, she carried out the beatings, but they were so severe that Sister Theodoti died of internal bleeding. Oh no. Yeah, and the next and final victim, uh, official victim, Sister Maria, she had a similar experience as Sister Theodoti and she was beat. And they actually sent her to the hospital for her injuries, but then she died at the hospital.
0: It's weird that they sent this one uh, this one sister to the hospital and not the other. Mm. I wonder if there was a reason for that.
1: Maybe for Sister Theodoti, it was already too late because she died soon after the beatings. But yeah, we don't know.
0: But it's also dangerous for them to bring them to the hospital because they can reveal what's going on
1: yeah so that's the i guess the the pity with this case is that there's so much we don't know like there's Mm -hmm. still so many unanswered questions exactly what happened to these people um that maybe there's more information in greek but i was not able to find or understand Uh, there's a book not entirely devoted to this case but it talks about this case where um there's a lot of details that wikipedia cites this book uh, for the details, and maybe that has more information. But yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find the details. But of course, Mother Mariam denied all of the charges. Her ar- her lawyers argued that everything that happened was voluntary. This was all part of you know joining the monastery, and the only reason that everything is under Mother Mariam's name is because the monastery didn't have like, I don't know, a bank account or whatever. So they just had to do it under her name.
2: Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it
1: wasn't even like a personal. Yeah, it's just, she was just representing the monastery. And this was all done out of, you know, religious purposes.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but in of the course. end,
1: so for these three, these three uh, charges, she was sentenced to a total of 14 years. Only 14? Only 14. But that's because the prosecution, they were still preparing to give her more charges. I don't mm-hmm. think they intended for her to get out but they were still preparing, you know, there were still other witnesses and charges they were going to do. Uh, and reports say that Mother Mariam was emotionless and accepted her sentences without protest, but I would argue she did protest because apparently she made, like, a cross and she said a prayer of vengeance to Saint What? Mateo-
2: what?
1: <laughs> Wait. <laughs> said a prayer of vengeance to Saint Matthias. So, you know... Bishop Matthias, but after he passed, they kind of uh, self- Made him a saint. Promoted him to a saint. Yeah. So, like I just mentioned, the prosecution, they were still building other cases to charge her with. But only three years later, she died in prison at the age of 71.
0: Oh, wow. Is there Was it natural causes or was she sick? Or
1: do you know? Um, I don't know. I just know that she died. And I mean, at age 71. It could have been a combination of illness, old age. And she was buried next to Bishop Mateos at the monastery. What? Still? Yes. And this monastery still exists, and you can visit it if you want.
0: Sorry, the, my, my um, sort of disbelief or outrage is... Or not outrage, but my disbelief is regarding... So, like, he... Like, um, the archbishop Mateos, like he died and they basically like self elevated him to sainthood and then Mm -hmm. they bury her next to him even though she was an accused murderess
1: so that's the thing the people who are current nuns at this monastery they believe she was innocent oh okay so there's still people nowadays who believe that she was uh, framed or you know this was all a huge conspiracy and these people you know because they don't believe she did this that's why they still kind of honor her as well and pray t- to her
0: were these other sisters that were also involved in this whole like in the in the torture and mm. the punishment in the or were these like new ones that joined like after this whole thing do you know
1: um, I think there were both. Okay. So there were ones who were from the same time who believed that, you know, she was innocent. And also she was like, doing, the later ones.
0: So what she was doing was right, was basically their bullying.
1: No, not exactly. So I'm going to get into that right now. There was some controversy because there are these people who believe she's completely innocent. And I, I think for the people who believe her innocence, they don't deny that these atrocities happened. Uh, they don't deny that people die here. Maybe due to negligence, or mm-hmm. some people were, died due to the penances they were doing. But they believe that some male bishops and monks were jealous of Maryam's power as a woman, and they set her up for all the crimes uh... that the male bishops and monks committed.
0: That's funny. I had this thought earlier when you said that um, she was the one who sort of was put into this into this position of power because Mm. in my head I thought like, oh, that's interesting because she's a woman and generally like women as heads of something or in positions of power in the church mm-hmm. are not like they aren't seen often so i i, I just had this yeah. thought like oh that's interesting but i didn't voice it mm-hmm. because i didn't want to like hold your story up but that's so interesting that that was that is a possible theory because I'm i'm not surprised like i wouldn't be surprised
1: yeah because we have so little information that this could have happened but then again you have so many witnesses then that came forward who Mm -hmm. with their stories and from what i can tell it did point to her so it's kind of delusional that these people think she didn't have anything to do with it but then again we weren't there you know i can't read all the articles in greek so um it's unclear or like the if there were any trial notes or something court notes but Um, But yeah, so this is a theory, and the people who believe in her innocence um, have this theory. Wow. And another thing, so yeah, after this happened, it was a huge scandal, right? And all the calendarist sects, they were outlawed in Greece. But this specific Mm. monastery, it continued underground. And um, later on, there were even some suspicions in the years after Mariam's arrest of more women vanishing in relation to this monastery. But no one was charged with this. And then, yeah, things just kind of ended up nowhere. Um, And nowadays, you know, there's freedom of religion. So old calendarism is no longer illegal. And you can pay a visit to the monastery in Keratea if you like. And and just a final note. So it was
0: underground, but it was was underground, but it isn't anymore.
1: Yeah, so after the the trial, after, you know, all of this happened, they outlawed uh, old calendarism just in general so not just this particular sect
0: but you also um said that the monastery remained open like after this whole thing and like she was buried there it's just interesting how so the monastery was open but the calendarism movement was underground but then with freedom of religion they like emerged from underground and, like, became... Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm not entirely sure when this all, like, timeline-wise, when it was outlawed, and then when it was, you know, okay again, but um, the monastery itself kept operating underground until it became legal again. Uh, But with her burial, like, I'm not sure, sort of, who did it, and whether it was already legal at that point, but, yeah. I don't know, like, it doesn't answer your question, but... yeah Yeah,
0: that's fine I didn't I wasn't expecting it it's just I just I I see all these like points that like really interest me and I'd love to have more information Mm -hmm. but obviously like you don't have all the information and even people in Greece wouldn't have all the information but it just it fascinates me
1: yeah it it is quite like very interesting I think and a lot of people were affected by this right but so Christina, she also didn't, she's never heard of this case either. Oh, wow. So it's not like a huge, you know, everybody knows about this. And something else that's quite important, I think, as well, is there are also some theories that say she was kind of a scapegoat in a way because of the political turmoil that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, not Maybe not a scapegoat, but because there was a lot of political unrest in Greece at the time. Right. This story kind of emerged and the media just sort of hung on to it and... Really, kind of focused on it, so people were distracted about all the other things that were happening. Um, They just went wild in this case, and some things might have been blown out of proportion or something like that. But yeah, Yeah. so we don't know. These are just—it's just been such a long time ago. Well, not that long ago, but um, for
0: us, for us, for us. I
1: suppose we were not alive at that point, yeah, Uh, and we don't have a lot of information from that time, but. Mm There was something else I was gonna say.
0: Uh, yeah, you no, had a final point to make yeah. before I interrupted you.
1: I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, shit, I can't. I can't think of it. I'll think of it at some point. But this is kind of the gist of it. <laughs> this is the case. Wow. Uh, of Mariam Sulakioti. And oh yeah, so Mother of Putin. Like, why she's called Mother of Putin? I think it's because. Uh, yes. I mean that that wasn't the point I was gonna make. But. but yeah. <laughs> But going back to that, I think Rasputin he was um, he was healing people and that's how he kind of got close to the Russian uh, the Tsar like the the royal family. The Tsar. Yeah. Tsar. The Tsar. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of how, like I think they believe that he was healing one of the children and I think people say that he wasn't actually. Like that's how he basically got into closer circle for the family and this is just you know another example where someone sort of tricked people by saying they could heal them or something like that yeah so it's not like a you know huge connection with Rasputin but yeah damn I wish I could remember what I was gonna say um but yeah do you have any final questions or thoughts
0: my question to you guys Mm -hmm. road trip to the monastery (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to I mean, go see. Love it. To go to Greece. Let's go.
1: <laughs> it's a lot easier Let's for you though, go. Julia. Exactly. You're not that far away.
0: Come visit and we'll go.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to go to Greece someday though. So yeah, I've never been. That might be on
2: the, Ooh. On the list. Oh. Something that's not related. Mm-hmm. But still a surprising news. I might see one of you soon. <gasps> Can I? I can. It's I think me? I can guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would be. I would be pleasantly surprised. Uh, I
2: have no reason to go to Germany. You have one reason. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for the German sausages and food and the highway. But yeah. But yeah.
0: If we if we ever have the opportunity, let's let's go. Let's visit.
2: That's uh, Yeah. I want to go to Greece.
1: There's this museum Julia sent me. Yeah. Uh, that i want to go to
2: as well in germany what's Um, it called was it the are we talking about greece or germany where are we
0: going germany general sightseeing things that we need to do um it was the history of medical sciences museum somewhere where they had like
2: (laughs) no do they have corpse like I think it was kind of like bodies? medical
0: science history with like medieval torture devices. Oh yeah, I think that's what it was.
1: The medieval torture devices.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of really cool museums in Germany including that one with the medieval torture devices that Yeah, we should just do like a really weird creepy tour of attractions in Europe at some point <laughs> including this <That> monastery. <laughs> Well, thank you, Lena. That was a really fascinating story that I'd never heard of before.
1: Yeah, I hope you. I hoped you were engaged. Yeah, I'm not gonna say enjoyed it, but yeah,
0: very engaged.
1: Yeah, cool. And it was nice to do. I, I really wanted to do a Greek case just because I had. I was. I wanted to show off my Greek friends. So.
0: <laughs> oh. Well, she did a great job, and. Um, yeah, very happy that she was able to help you out. and Yes, me too. I mean, you said that she didn't know about this, so she learned something new as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So, look forward to next week's case where Julia is going to tell us about an Asian case.
0: Yes, I refuse to tell you more because
1: you're you're being so secretive, Lena. So i I think it's Chinese. I know it's Chinese. Yes, that's. You know, we we or. We have a document where we write down the things, right? And I think I actually put in my my slot that it's Greek, so...
0: Oh, well, I haven't checked it. I put in my country and the name of the case, but then then I haven't checked
1: it again, so... Yeah.
2: I haven't even touched the drive.
1: Yeah, I know, Angela. We know you didn't look at it, because there's no info. That's a you problem, Angela. I don't do anything. But I do research. That's good. That's the important bit. I have all my stuff. That's great. Anyway... Um, See you guys next time, then, with another story at Murder on Silk Road. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.